Having broken into our two series uh, for the Easter period, we are now returning to Mark's Gospel and we are looking at the most important event in the life of Jesus Christ, which was, of course, his death on the cross. This is the very crux of the Christian message and we are dividing uh, that fateful Good Friday, uh, according to the timings that we have in the 15th chapter of Mark's Gospel. So Jesus Christ was crucified between the third and the ninth hour of that Friday. So the third hour was nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, and we're dividing it uh, into two parts uh, between the third and the sixth hour, which is the morning between 9 and 12 noon, and then between the 6th and the ninth hour, that is between 12 and 3. And we're still looking at the events that took place in the morning, right? So we're between 9 and 12. And just to refresh us as to what we've been looking at, if we can read from the 15th chapter... And start in verse 22, verse 22 of Mark chapter 15. And they brought him to the place Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. So we've already looked at Golgotha, uh, the dividing of his garments and the method of crucifixion. So we're still now between the third and the sixth hour. It's still morning. So what else have we got to look at? And the inscription of his accusation was written above. In capital letters, the King of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. So three more things this morning between the third and the sixth hour. We'll just look at these things in turn and then we'll sing a hymn and have uh, the communion service. The first is the inscription. The inscription. When a person was executed in uh, the time of the Romans, they would put over and above his head the charge that he was accused of. So Pontius Pilate, who's the Roman governor, 
he could not find anything to charge Jesus Christ with. But he still writes, it's Pilate who writes it, he still writes over his head the false charge, this is the king of the Jews. It's interesting, in John's accounts, the religious leaders didn't like the fact that Pilate wrote the king of the Jews. They wanted Pilate to say, he said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate stood his ground and he said, I've written what I've written. So this is, this is the first thing we're going to look at this morning. You're probably wondering, what relevance has this got to us? We've come here to hear the gospel. What's what the point of this charge, this inscription over Jesus head do you know what I think God's got a sense of humor God is directing Pilate here yes it's Pilate who wrote the king of the Jews but it's God's spirit who is really directing Pilate's hand to write that because what God is doing here is using even uh, the uh, way that the enemies of Jesus were working against him. He's turning it around in order to bring his purposes to pass. It was God who was behind all of this. Yes, it was the religious leaders who got Jesus condemned and sent to the cross. And the devil behind that, but over and above everything, it is God who is holding the strings. Uh, this is what the great John Calvin said. Calvin wasn't a dry-as-dust theologian, right? He was brilliant. And he said this, God directed Pilate's pen and dictated to him the commendation not the condemnation the commendation of the gospel even though he did not understand what he wrote by the same secret moving of the spirit it came about that the title was proclaimed and in the other gospels we're told it wasn't just in hebrew that it was written the king of the jews it was proclaimed in the three major languages it was proclaimed in Hebrew, the language of God's revelation of Scripture. It was proclaimed in Latin, the language of power, the language of the Romans. And it was proclaimed in Greek, the lingua franca of the time, the language of the Greeks, the language uh, of the civilized world. So what is God doing here? My friends, God is using pilots to proclaim the very message of Christianity. Yes, the religious leaders were saying uh, it's a false thing for Jesus of Nazareth to say that he's the king of the Jews. But God is saying it is actually true. This is the king of the Jews. And it's not just the king of the Jewish people, the Old Testament people who were privileged to have the revelation of God, the Old Testament. This is also the king of kings, the one who is over all peoples, whether they be Romans, Jews, Greeks, Iranians, Welsh, 
English, Polish, Indian. Jesus Christ alone is king. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who has bowed the knee to King Jesus. It doesn't matter what background you may come from. I know uh, a number of our Iranian brethren, they they didn't worship Jesus Christ uh, when they were brought up. They do now. Those of us who were brought up in a nominal Christian home in Wales, attending chapel maybe, we might have named Jesus Christ, but we did not worship him. That's what happened when we became Christians. We bowed the knee to him. Didn't we start this service by singing together? Crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon his throne. Hark, listen how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake, my soul. Have you come here this morning? Uh, I know for some mornings can be difficult, but awake, my soul, and sing of him who died for thee, and hail him as thy chosen king through all eternity. What we're doing here this morning is showing our solidarity as those who are subject to the authority of King Jesus. We may once have lived for ourselves, but now we worship this living Saviour. So the inscription, the inscription. Let's move on to the next thing. And this is quite something. Jesus Christ, we are told, was crucified between two other criminals. They are called thieves in the authorized version, but they were more than that. Uh, In the verse I read, verse 27, with him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. And this, of course, was fulfilling a prophecy from Isaiah many centuries before that we had in our reading from Isaiah 53. He was numbered with the transgressors. Now, we mustn't think of these two just as those who'd committed robbery. They were, in fact, insurrectionists. What's that? They were terrorists. Uh, They were freedom fighters. And they had killed people. So they were guilty of grievous crimes. Crimes against humanity. And what we find here, and this is quite scandalous when you think about it, King Jesus, as we had uh, in the hymn before the sermon, the word of the Father. In the beginning was the word, John 1, 1. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh. God became a man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God incarnate, God in human flesh. And where is that person, that wonderful person? He's associating himself with the worst criminals. This would have been scandalous, right? To the religious leaders of the day. That their so-called Messiah 
was associating with such people. Now, if you uh, are familiar with what we've been going through in Mark's Gospel, as I hope you are, even though it's taking us time, you will have realized by now that it wasn't just on the cross that Jesus was associating himself with the dregs of society. Throughout his ministry, he, he, he was known as the friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, I'm sorry if you're a tax collector here this morning, but in Jesus' day, a tax collector was the lowest of the low. And here is God's own son. And I'm sure the religious leaders were jealous here. They thought the Messiah is bound to associate with us. But no, instead, he's uh, humbling himself and he's friends of the tax collectors, of the prostitutes, uh, of uh, the drunkards, of the worst people in society. And what you find on Golgotha is that taken to its extreme. He is now associating with the very worst. One of the best modern theologians is Donald MacLeod. And he writes in a way that challenges you. And this is how he put it. Jesus made himself notorious. Notorious as the friend of tax collectors and sinners, and allowed himself to be compromised by associating with people of dubious reputation. But here at the cross, the solidarity of Jesus with such people climaxes. He is not merely among them now. He's together with them. He's even uh, in the middle, as it were, in the words of Calvin again, Jesus Christ, by being hung in the middle of these two criminals, is stating, uh, as it were, that he's the worst of the lot. Hang on, pastor, you say. Can that be true? One of my favorite characters from church history is Martin Luther. Because Martin Luther rediscovered the gospel of Jesus Christ after it had been buried by centuries of Roman Catholic tradition. And Martin Luther, he put it like this. <laughs> he, Jesus, bore the person of a sinner and of a thief. So think of those two insurrectionists, those two terrorists. Jesus is being treated as one of them. He's being treated as one of the greatest terrorists. And then Luther goes on and he's thinking of the sins of his day. And not of one, but of all sinners and thieves. And Christ was becoming the greatest thief, the greatest murderer, the greatest adulterer, uh, the greatest blasphemer. Uh, and that he was doing this for you and for me. Let's put some more modern sins uh, in that list. Christ on the cross is becoming the greatest of paedophiles. Christ on the cross is becoming the greatest of corruptors. Christ on the cross is becoming the greatest of the terrorists. Think of some of the awful atrocities that have been committed in these last decades. And God, the Holy One, is looking at his only begotten Son as if he was the worst 
of all those sinners that have been throughout history. That's the gospel, my friends. This is love. There is nothing like it. Uh, We'll be singing at the close of our service. As I said in the children's talk, Jesus Christ was sinless, even on the cross. There was no sin in him. He was being treated as the worst of sinners. He was bearing the punishments for these sins, even though he was innocent. This is what we'll be singing. Not for my righteousness, for I have none. I may not be a terrorist. I may not be guilty of some of those sins that I've mentioned, but I'm still a sinner. You're still a sinner. Not for my righteousness, for I have none, but for his mercy's sake, Jesus, God's Son, suffered on Calvary's tree. Crucified with thieves was he. Great was his grace to me, his wayward one. Do you know what grace means? Grace means undeserving favor. Grace means showing mercy to your enemy. And while we were still enemies, Jesus died for us. You know what? This is the king of the Jews. This is the king of kings. Nowhere is Jesus' kingship more regal than when he is dying for your sins and mine. You know, some people think that it's when you're baptized as... I was baptized as a baby. (laughs) And that's when you're admitted into God's kingdom. Now, baptism is important. But no human ceremony, even ones found in Scripture, can bring us into the kingdom of King Jesus. Do you know when Jesus founded his kingdom? How did he find his kingdom? How did he set the foundation for his kingdom? How did he gather people to be part of his kingdom? Yes, in a way, he was doing it when he was ministering on earth. Jesus, when he was healing people and driving the devil away, in a sense, he was building his kingdom then, wasn't he? He was exercising his authority as king. When he was preaching this gospel and declaring uh, captivity to those who were bound in sin, if they come to him, yes, he was building his kingdom then. But in a way, none of that would have availed unless Jesus did what he did on the cross. Do you know here, by being associated with sinners, by taking the punishment of our sins upon himself. And that's why the blood of Jesus Christ is significant. It is here that he's really founding his kingdom and opening the gates of his kingdom. It is here. The city that Jesus is building is founded on blood. The blood of the innocent's. Lamb of God. Can I use this illustration? Have you, have you seen that film, Pan's Labyrinth? It's one of the most beautiful uh, films ever made. And it's a fantasy story in Spanish. And it's about a little girl. And she's supposed to be the queen of the underworld. But she finds herself in this world. 
and she can't get back to the world she belongs to, to the kingdom she belongs to. And the only way the, the door of the labyrinth uh, will open uh, into that kingdom is if the blood of an innocent victim is poured out. And as soon as a drop of blood touches the stone, which is the gate to the kingdom, the door opens, the door opens. My friend, as soon as the blood of Jesus Christ touched uh, the mercy seat, uh, the Father's holiness was fulfilled, the law's fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. My responsibility this morning is to tell you there is a way, there is a way. There is a way to the kingdom. There is a way to heaven. There is a way for you and me, man, sinful man, to rise to that sublime abode, to that heaven. There's an offering and a sacrifice, a Holy Spirit's energies, an advocate with God. I, have you seen Jesus Christ as dying for sinners, even for you, because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner? And then one last thing before we come to communion. These horrible, horrible things that are being shouted at Jesus Christ. So if you look at verses 29 uh, to 32, uh, we won't go through all the details here, but crucifixion, uh, like any form of execution, drew the crowds. Uh, people had a macabre sense, uh, even in those days, uh, to witness uh, some uh, horrible, uh, gruesome uh, act. And so the crowd uh, came. All those who passed by blasphemed him. So you've got the, you know, the mob. And then you've got the religious leaders coming uh, to watch Jesus die. And uh, they blasphemed him. They blasphemed him as the prophets. You who destroy the temple, build it in three days, save yourself. They blaspheme him as the priest. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. They blaspheme him as the king. Let the Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross. And even the two criminals that are crucified on each side of him, both of them revile him at first. And so this third point I'm calling, there's a chorus of derision here. Wherever Jesus is looking, it's his derision. Isn't that tragic? Here on the cross, Jesus is fulfilling God's ancient plan, the plan of our salvation. Here is the love of God towards you and me, demonstrated like never before. And what would you expect? You would expect a chorus of thanksgiving, wouldn't you? Thank you, Jesus, for dying in my place, for paying the debts for my sin. But instead of a chorus of thanksgiving, there's a chorus of contempt and derision. And as I come to a conclusion, what is our response this morning just to these details of the crucifixion? These people saw the inscription, yet they didn't see, did they? 
They didn't realize this is the Son of God, the King of Kings. They saw the fact that he was hanging with these two criminals. They knew their Old Testament scriptures that the Messiah would uh, be crucified with transgressors. And they still didn't see it. They still didn't believe him. They still poured scorn at him. This congregation this morning is going to divide into two, believe it or not. In your reaction, in my reaction to this crucifixion of Jesus Christ, either we don't get it, or we say, thank God, thank God that he died there to save a sinner like me. What is your reaction? Do you know what? One of the criminals, one of the criminals, even though he started off not caring, something happened to him. Something happened to him. He believed in Jesus Christ. He felt to the core that he was suffering what he deserved. And he realized that Jesus was there because he was innocent. And he realized further that Jesus wasn't there for his own sin, but for the sin of a sinner like himself. And he said to Jesus, you know the words, don't you? Remember me, Lord. Remember me. All he's saying is, Jesus, save me. And we know what Jesus said to him. Today, you shall be with me in paradise. Let, let, me, let me end. I, I'm not going to leave this pulpit until I've tried as clearly as possible to present this wonderful good news of Jesus dying in the place of sinners. And in one of the commentaries, Kent Hughes has written a beautiful commentary on Mark, No Relation, and he uses an example from a very well-known uh, preacher, Barnhouse his name was, and somebody came to see Barnhouse uh, wanting to know what the cross meant. And this is how Barnhouse uh, explained it. He drew three crosses, and underneath the first one, he wrote the word in. Underneath the third one, he wrote the word in. Underneath the middle cross, the one where Jesus was, he wrote the word not in. Do you understand what I mean when I so say those men who died with Jesus had sin in them? And the man said, yes, I do. In, sin, in, sin, not in. Jesus did not have any sin. And then over the first cross and over the third cross, he wrote another word, on, on. And he said, do you understand what that means? And the man said, I'm not sure. And then Barnhouse said, let me illustrate. Have you ever run through a red light? Yes. Were you caught? No. <laughs> well, in running that red light, you had sin in you. If you would have been caught, you would have had sin on you. So here, the two 
Thieves bear the penalty of God. They've got sin in them and they are caught. So they've got sin on them. They are bearing the penalty. And then, and this is the gospel, he wrote another on over Jesus Christ and said, the one's thief sin rested on Christ because he believed in him. Because he believed in him. There's no sin in Christ. There's sin in the two thieves. There's sin in you. There's sin in me. And when we're born into this world, there is sin on us. We are condemned. That is why there's death. And one day we will have to die. And if nothing happens, we will be condemned forever and ever. The condemnation of God is on us. But the one who had no sin on the central cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, there was no sin in him. But the punishments for your sins and mine were placed on him. And if we trust in him, if we say to him, Lord, remember me, save me, then our sin is no longer on us. It has been transferred to Jesus Christ. Is that good news to you this morning? You can't say anything out loud, but nod your heads. Is that good news? Is, is that not the best news in the world? That he bore our sins. The innocence dying for the guilty so that we might go at last to heaven saved through his precious blood. Oh, can I ask all you that pass by, we haven't got this hymn on our recordings, but all you that pass by, is it nothing, is it nothing to you that Jesus should die? Is it nothing to you that Jesus should die? He dies to atone for sins not his own. Your debt he has paid and your work he has done. There's no better news than that. And what a privilege to belong to a church that believes this good news. And may you know that you are in Christ's kingdom that you are going to heaven because of his precious blood.